0: Welcome to Rocco Radio. I'm Jason Bryan and you're listening to Well Connected. This week's Well Connected was recorded in Montego Bay, Jamaica, where I was lucky enough to be invited to present and hold workshops with the MNO team at the 10th Digicel International Business Forum. While I was there, I had the opportunity to catch up with one of the industry's most known international business managers. Group Head of Roaming, A2P, and IoT at Digicel Group, Alex Pereira. Over the years I've known Alex, he's always had one of the more challenging roles in telecoms. Heading up the Digicel Roaming Hub is a diverse role, with each operating company having its own opportunities and challenges. In his interview, Alex talks about his career in telecoms, the impacts of Hurricane Irma, and shares interesting insights into telecoms transformation employing new revenue streams from mobile engagement and the Internet of Things.
1: We were prepared before the hurricane hit. We already knew who was gonna go where. It was amazing. Obviously this was unique because we had three hurricanes in the region almost at the same time.
0: If you can hear the sound of the beach, It's probably because this week's Well-Connected is in Montego Bay, Jamaica. And I'm lucky enough to be here with Alex Pereira. Welcome to Well-Connected, Alex. Thank you very much. Tell us how your journey started. How did you get into telecoms? What was the journey you took?
1: I ended up in telecom by chance, actually. I worked throughout college, so I always worked. And then I always worked in small companies and there was a point towards the end of college that I wanted to have experience in a big company. So I applied for a bunch of different trainee programs, and the one that I got in was with a telecom, telecommunications company in Brazil called ATL, which then became Claro you know, uh, later. The American Movo acquired uh, ATL.
0: But before then, when you were in college or university, you were training to do something in telecoms, or was it more business-related?
1: It was business-related. So I, I'm an engineer in Brazil called production engineering. And that is, you go through two years of the basic core engineer, physics, chemic you know, chem, everything really core to engineering. And then the last three years, you focus on more business-oriented uh, subjects. As well, so I always wanted to be in, you know, some more kind of like business or entrepreneur, have my own business or things like that. That's what kind of drove me to do that production engineering. But that it turns out that that's a very good uh, expertise to have in companies. Really like it, especially banks and uh, investment uh, investment banks and companies in general. They like to hire uh, engineers.
0: It seems to me that today there are so many like telecoms, engineering, degrees in the market and nearly every university seems to have something. But they don't know how to necessarily combine it with the business aspect.
1: And it's actually funny because um, I ended up starting in HR. So I was hired by <laughs> HR. <laughs> I applied for a bunch of different positions. I really wanted to go into logistics, actually, and then uh, I didn't get the logistic job. But then the HR lady called me saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't get the logistic job. But we have a job for you here at HR." I'm like, "HR," but yeah. I was more focused about getting the experience in a big company and things like that. So I, I said, I took the job, and I started in HR, and I was there for about a year. Yeah, I'd say about a year before I moved into actually moved into marketing. And that one year in HR was like brilliant. You understand how a company works from the inside. Right? And um, and the company I worked for, ATL, had a very strong HR. So it was uh, it was really, really good, a really good experience. I had really good bosses. I actually had really good women bosses most of my career. And that's where I started, in HR and at ATL. So tell us a bit about ATL. What kind of company was it? So it was the, the disruptor at the time, right? It was the B-Band. Um, TDMA company and had a license in Rio and, and Espirito Santo, two states in, uh, in Brazil. Remember, in the beginning, Brazil was like a maze of telecoms, different regions, it was broken down different areas. So, uh, so it was good. It was like we were the challengers, you know, we were, well, as aggressive, trying to take the market, disrupting, you know, the incumbent, uh, uh, which was the previously government owned, you know, company. So it was very, very interesting. My telecommunications uh, career started in 2001 and I was there while I was still finishing uh, college while I was there I actually decided that I really want to have an international career I wanted to you know live abroad and have other experiences so I moved to marketing planning again a great boss a woman as well it was she was really really good and there I learned the telecommunication business because we were responsible for all the uh, metrics of the company, all the KPIs. So she reported almost to the board or to the chairman at the time. And we put together the number of subscribers, the churn, our pool. You know, I learned how all those things work from the beginning in that department. And then when there was an opening in Roaming, I took that opportunity. And that was when we were going from TDMA to GSM. So it was the first time we were launching GSM uh, in Brazil, and it was a project, by then, we had, the American Marvel had already bought six other, or five other companies. We were already a, a group with a significant coverage in, in, uh, in Brazil, we were launching GSM across all these regions. And I was put on the roaming project from the beginning. So, so what appealed to you about going into a roaming related project? Was the opportunity to get an international career because I, I thought you know this is the easiest path to international career is working in international business right and Romi was the only thing that I could see at the time that, that would lead there that's why I took it.
0: And what was it like as a network to go from TDMA to GSM because you know a lot of people don't realize GSM started out in Europe and there are lots of different kinds of let's say variations TDMA TDMA.
1: So it's pretty much like launching a brand new um, yeah. Yeah. operation and. Um, and we started with zero from roaming as well. So I was actually like the lowest, the lowest level employee in the roaming area. And I started doing everything, like you know, exchanging SIM cards and documents. I mean, that was you know, I was a SIM coordinator or something like that.
0: So you had a role pretty much like a roaming coordinator or roaming manager at the beginning.
1: Even, well, actually, even uh, even below the roaming coordinator was this, <laughs> you know, like a, I was the errand boy for pretty much everything. Uh, when we started, because it was just actually just a team of two people in the beginning, which and then we got two more people from the from the other operations, uh, American Marvel operations uh, to help out. I think we had a consultant for like two to three months as well, just to kind of give us a, an idea of you know documentation and how the process works and things like that. But then after that, we, we were pretty much on our own. And what was it like to try and get the attention of other networks in
0: the world to, to get roaming agreements with you?
1: So we were, I mean, in a way, we were, um, we were lucky because the only other GSM, well, we had the OI, Time already had GSM roaming. I think Tim was also coming up, but the, the incumbent, like, uh, Vivo, which was, tele- well, Vivo now, Telefonica back then, didn't have GSM, I think. So we got a good traction in terms of responses and things like that because the different operators had different coverages. No operator had the national coverage, so they always needed more operators. So it wasn't too hard to get their attention, you know, from the big players.
0: Then Jamaica, how did that happen? How did you first get to join Digicel?
1: So I started roaming in 2002. And then by 2006, I had a pretty good understanding yeah. of how it worked because, like I said, I did sim management and ex- uh, agreements. I actually ran t- IREG, I ran TIDIG. I, just, I did everything <laughs> wow. that needed to be done because we had to train the other departments you know, how to do it. So I, w- I did all those things. The beginning of 2006, I got an invitation to present at the forum in Miami about roaming. I don't know, I think it was roaming Americas or something like that, okay. one of those um, events. So I was invited to go there, and I presented. And the, the guy that was uh, head of roaming at the time for Digicel was there and he we saw the presentation and we exchanged business cards and that's how i ended up at jamaica <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works
0: sometimes right and what was the cultural difference that you found i mean when you first came as a you know born in in rio to, to come to kingston jamaica
1: quite a a difference i would expect so um, it was very different but like i said i was i had set my mind many years before that i wanted to have an international uh, experience they actually offered to for me to come here for an interview you know in kingston for me to get to know kingston make sure that i want to come and i said i declined that i said if you guys if you're gonna hire me i'll come i don't i don't need <laughs> to because yeah. i want to make sure you know i didn't want to give leave it to chance that i might not like it or might not want to come so i actually the first time i landed in kingston was already with you know all my bags all my clothes everything so i came here interestingly enough there were two brazilians working on the team two girls so It definitely helped a lot with the integration because they were already here for some time so it helped a lot actually with the integration locally.
0: What was your role in in Digicel at that time?
1: I was the group roaming manager. So there was a head of roaming and I was a group roaming manager. So there were three coordinators and a sim admin. And um, it was challenging because when I got here we we kind of didn't know how many Rome agreements that were in place, you know, there were, yeah. it was very scattered. I mean, Digicel was launching so many operations so fast. I think it was challenging to get everything in place. So.
0: Now we know DigiSell is a you know, hugely successful group across the Caribbean and even you know, in the Pacific area. I mean, what was it like at that time? I mean, uh, the very beginning just covered Jamaica or?
1: I don't know exactly the number. So I was here between 2006 and 2010 and in those four years, we launched seven or eight markets. So it was pretty much every yeah. six months. But there was actually a period where we launched three markets within two months, but it was very interesting. It was very challenging. The good thing about DigiSell is, is that if you see an opportunity and you can show to management that, uh, that there's something that can be done it's going to better the business and you know bring more revenues or they usually you know they let you do it they give you a lot of freedom there's a lot of empowerment for you to take decisions and make and try to make things happen
0: i mean because this is really a unique market i would say and we worked together in the gsma on some interesting projects to support uh, roaming solutions would you think a little bit outside <coughs> of the box right
1: yeah here we had to um, think outside the box right there were um as you remember very well, there were, uh, we had a lot of interesting conversations mm-hmm. about BA21, the network extension documents. That's the only way that you know we could do what we do in terms of launching as many operations as, uh, and also as soon as we launch an operator, being able to allow all our partners to have access to it. So even though there's, you know, there was mixed feelings in the industry about you know network extensions, a lot of operators actually really like it because mm. they don't want to have to be dealing with testing in a tiny little island, in the in Caribbean, that they would have to. Uh, go through a lot of effort that might not get them a lot of uh, roamers there but at the same time they know they have vip customers that will attend that you know that want to go there and they want to have that coverage so i think b twenty one was really good to kind of set the standards you know set what what are the minimum requirements for you to have a proper network extension that will give enough information that the home operator can uniquely identify the, where that roamer is Unique innovations were needed in the market to expand. As I say, I think the network extension is the birth of roaming hub, right? Because yeah. it is the same technical solution. So without having all the conversation and discussion about network extensions, we don't know where the hubs, you know, would be today, right? That's my opinion. Now, Digicel also has its own hub because it was just a natural progression from uh, the network extension setup. You know, We're not a commercial hub, but we, we use the hub just to, again, leverage you know, our coverage, we take the, uh, the advantage and the benefits of um, of having the hub. It's a good solution for everybody.
0: What is it like to be in this market specifically, though? Because, you know, a few weeks ago we had Irma here and that must have worried a lot of people in the company in terms of keeping up the networks and getting that you know supported even when there is such a big thing happening
1: yeah it's definitely challenging because i mean obviously irma was you know was the worst hurricane recorded and some islands were completely devastated so it's interesting digicel is really into the community where we operate and the amount of effort that you see for um, you know to get back to the community especially when something like this happened. And I had experienced this before in 2010 when there was an earthquake in Haiti. This I was the first plane to land in Haiti right after the earthquake. Like the airport was destroyed, but as soon as there we got wind, because we actually, I was in Jamaica in the building, and we felt the quake in, uh, in Jamaica because it was really strong. I believe on the same day, we already had a plane heading there with supplies and engineers and nurses, uh, first aid people. Yeah. And now at this time, I know that you know, we literally, and it's on the same floor where I am, so I can see, you know, there's literally a war room to help rebuild and um, the markets have been severely impacted, right? I think overall, we had about 13 markets somehow impacted by the hurricane, which is a lot, uh, where sites went down and things like that. And we have four or five that are significantly, you know, really, really badly impacted. And we had to pretty much build, a lot of them We were building from the ground up again.
0: And I heard from one of your colleagues that you know, use drones to identify some of the issues.
1: Yeah, because there are some locations where you can just reach you know, by car. Not only drones, but we had about six airplanes and four helicopters just moving people around, moving equipment, moving supplies, you know, extracting people as well. So Amazing. it's literally when I say a war operation is like you usually hear about, you know, a project mm-hmm. war room. Yeah. It, like, this is a real war room that you see there, because um, I think now we have a, a lot of hurricane experts, and we were prepared before the hurricane hit, we already knew who was going to go where. It was amazing. Obviously, this was unique because we had three hurricanes in the region that's almost at the same time. I know of a specific case where the hurricane hit. We sent people there. We propped the sites up and then the hurricane was coming. So we had to uh-huh. send people back there to bring the sites down, to disassemble them, wait for the hurricane to come back and then bring the sites back up. You know, So it's, it was very, very challenging. And, it, and it's amazing what we've managed to accomplish in a short period of time. Yeah, certainly some of the stories
0: I've heard this week are really fantastic. It seems like you, beyond being a... A GSM operator, you're also helping in emergency services context as well.
1: Like I said, uh, digital is very integrated in the community. So they really go above and beyond and try to make as much as possible for the government, for the employees locally, for the people locally. It's really, really amazing to see.
0: So after a few years in Digicel, you also wanted to see the rest of the world, right? You decided to move on from Digicel and take on a new role. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so after four years here, I thought it was time to um, experience the rest of the world as well. So, uh, so I took a job with uh, Cineverse, and I was there for four years. I left Kingston, and I was in Paris for six or seven months, and then moved to Tampa. The experience with Centris was really interesting because I saw the other side of the business, you know, the, from the vendor side. It's a very dynamic company; things change all the time. It's an American company, yeah. you know, driven by Americans. It's actually very interesting to see because there's a strong European uh, management team when I joined, and obviously in a, it's an American company, so I could also see the, the differences between the European management and uh, and American management. Um, but it was a good, good you know, very good, good learning. Yeah. Oh yeah, very good exposure, very good learning. I learned a lot. I was there for four years it was really good learning.
0: I also had a similar experience you know working in cybernet and Mac and I do agree with you that when you've been an operator and you're working on the other side the dark side as some people might say you know, you get exposure to how it is to deliver services, and you know, being an operator, it's helpful to have that to go into a vendor and to see that perspective. Now you're back in Digicel. Has it helped you to understand better the approach of vendors that you're working with at the moment?
1: I think it helps a lot because the vendors now recognize that you know I've been on the other side, so I understand their side as well. You know, I understand when they're rushing for a PO or they you know they're trying to get something done. So I always try to understand why they're asking me what they're asking me and I try to, you know, obviously I try to get as much as I can for Digicel using that knowledge as well. I think it works well for, for both Digicel and the vendors that I deal with. And so coming back to Digicel now as you have, how long have you been back? It's over a year. I rejoined August, in August 2016. So. And, you, and your role in Digicel right now is in the roaming function, right? Right. So I have uh, roaming, uh, A2P and IoT. So a2P was something that was already... There was something going on when I came back, but, but we needed to consolidate and kind of rebuild the business and properly, I think, uh, structure the business. And we had our, a lot of help to put it that in place. The business grew significantly in the last year. And IoT was mostly because, since I was exposed to all the ROME negotiations, and IoT and are they have to work hand-in-hand, hand, otherwise yeah. you pretty much open your market for competition, right, using your ROMI agreements. And if you don't talk, there's an issue there. There was something being done on IoT, uh, Digicel, but now there wasn't enough focus. I presented a concept and a plan to the leadership team, and that's why we built the IoT department for the group.
0: So what would you say, having all this experience, what lessons you learned in this journey? Because for new people entering into telecoms now or entering into the roaming space, you know, a lot of people say roaming is dying, but of course we know that there's a whole architecture behind there, that need support. What advice would you give them? What lessons did you learn in your career?
1: I would say, well, one is a small industry, right? There are 200, 300 people with the kind of knowledge that you build up in that arena and in the world, right? So yeah. It's good and bad, because you want another job, you might have to move countries, you know, because there are a limited number of jobs in, uh, in your country. I would say, definitely read BA40. BA40 is a good uh, reference document. I don't know who's managing that now, but it's, uh, I always hear good feedback from BA40.
0: You contributed to that document at one point in time, didn't you? I
1: did, for a while. But it was good, it was, uh, and that was actually a great exercise for me, that was somehow, it was great because it wasn't like I edited, but it was really based on, on input from a lot of experts in the industry a lot of people submitted content i pretty much just you know put it together really so that was also a lot, a lot of learning uh, leveraging other people's um, lessons so yeah. i don't know how updated it is but i would say for people starting on, that's that's the way to go so back to the it's a small industry you know remember that your employee might be your boss down the road <laughs> right? i actually learned that very early from when i was in hr my good boss is a uh, taught me, so I said, I don't remember that you're an intern now, but you might be somebody else, you know, you might be our bosses in a couple of years. And it's true, especially in the industry, because it's a small group, right? So Yeah, I also saw that myself, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the swap. The swap, exactly. Uh... You never know, in a couple of years, a lot of things can happen. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. I mean, there's no specific lessons learned from, you know, roaming. I think roaming is just like any other business. It's more lessons learned in general, I think mm-hmm. I would say that.
0: So what do you think to the industry as it is today? I mean obviously there's there's things like OTTs which have you know taken away some of the revenues from operators. There's new challenges, there's 5G, there's IoT, there is uh, regulation of course. All potentially opportunities and challenges for operators today. What do you think are the major challenges in the industry that you see from your perspective here in Digicel?
1: It's very interesting because even though we work in a small community, but you have to remember every operator has a completely different reality, right? And sometimes we, we try to debate the same subject, but we forget that they are completely different realities, right? You can't compare like tier one operator in the US with a tier one operator in a developing country, right? And even though they might be both tier one, it might be part of the same group, but they're not going to have the same strategy. In general, I would say nothing will be what it looks like right now. Five years ago, you'd think SMS would be dead or SS7 would be dead. Look at us now. We make a lot of money, not just us, but the industry uh, on A2P. The sponsors for the last barge slash WAS meetings are being more A2P vendors than roaming or operators, right? Which pretty much shows where the money is, right? So there's a lot of money on A2P. And if you ask five years ago, I don't think a lot of people would have, you know, bet their horses in, in A2P. So whatever it is that it looks like now, you know, that's <laughs> going to disappear, I wouldn't count on it. Like uh, even Romy or SS7, you know, there's IoT coming up, you know, and Romy is what enables uh, global coverage. Obviously, it's their eSIM, but you're not going to have, you know, 200 SIMs on, a, on an eSIM, so Romy will still be needed um, for global coverage. And I think. I don't make predictions, right? We play as we go, and we, we try to to be ready for things, and and try to leverage that uh, whatever we have in place. So, what would you say
0: beyond A to P? The next trend is going to be more on the I O T side.
1: It's not a trend, is it's a reality already. Uh, I went to a IoT conference in uh, California a few months back, and there were fourteen thousand people there. More than five hundred people exposing stands, and it's not a thing that's coming, it's already here. So yeah, definitely IoT I think is where the, it's the next big wave, the next big transformation.
0: So we heard about your journey and the exposure you wanted, you know, you wanted international travel, you wanted to see what it's like to to be in other countries. And, you know, a lot of people are concerned these days, should I stay in roaming? Because if roaming is a dying industry, what would you say is the next direction people might wanna take in their career if they've worked in roaming and they want to move on to, to do something else?
1: What I would say is, um, if I was starting today, I would do anything related to IoT. Once, because finally they agree on the name, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's been changing names for a long time. It's the same machine, thing, it was machine-connected <laughs> machine living, blah, blah, blah. And it's finally agreed it's uh, Internet of Things. And it's already an existing industry. And there are so many things that you can play with, with the knowledge that you get in roaming or you know having this kind of uh, expertise. So if I was starting today, I would get involved in anything IoT related, for sure. So, Alex, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak with you. No, thank you. Thanks for coming to Montego Bay. I um, appreciated a lot what you did for us here as well you know, on the during the, uh, the forum. And um, I'm glad we had the opportunity to have this conversation.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Look out for more in the Well Connected series in the coming weeks. If you're keen to learn about roaming, mobile engagement or the Internet of Things, you might also like to complete Rocco's training survey. Our training programs are diversifying and we would really like to hear how your training needs are evolving too. Tell us about your training requirements and receive discounts on all the training we are offering in 2018. Until next time, this is Jason Bryan and you've been listening to Well
1: Connected from Rocco Radio.